The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. From Spirituality and Health magazine... I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Kyle Cheka, is a writer for a variety of publications, including Newsweek, The New Republic, and The New Yorker. He's a weekly columnist for Pacific Standard and the author of an excellent exploration of the minimalist movement called Longing for Less. Kyle Cheka, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thanks so much for having me. Well, this is going to be a pleasure because I really am into this whole minimalist thing, though, after reading the book the first time and then, uh, you know, I'm going to go through it a second time just for fun because it's such an interesting read. But I realize there's so much more to this than, uh, no offense to Marie Kondo, but there's so much more to this than than her books. So let's start out with your definition of minimalism. Mm. (laughs) It's a tough one. Um, To me, you can kind of separate minimalism into two things. There's kind of the trendy version of minimalism that exists today with Marie Kondo and the like. And then there's this more formal version of minimalism that started as an art movement in the 1960s in New York. Um, But to me, like the core idea of minimalism or like what I see as minimalism is not about objects or like owning more or less possessions. It's more about trying to experience the world directly or like having a more unmediated uh, sense of what's around you. So that's kind of what I tried to explore in the book. So that's what we want to explore in the conversation, because it's a very different take on minimalism, this unmediated encounter with reality. I mean, that, Mm. though this is not where we're going to go, I mean, I should let you know, in my whole approach to (laughs) spirituality, my whole approach to religion is an unmediated experience of the divine, which I actually define as reality. So it's trying to get the the ideas and the isms and the ideologies out of the way so I can experience things as they are. But that is, A, that's very difficult for anyone, but minimalism is part of as I understand it from your book, it's sort of part of the American psyche in an odd way. So I was thinking like Thomas Jefferson gave us this notion of unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which a lot of people, though not everyone, thinks came from John Locke, where Locke says we have a right to life, liberty, and property stuff. And it seems to me that American culture has equated the pursuit of stuff with the pursuit of happiness 
and that the minimalist movement, as it's played out in, in the self-help world, is trying to free us from the notion that happiness and stuff are interchangeable. So what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think like the, the nice part of minimalism, or what, what I really appreciate about it, is that it's trying to disrupt that dependence on stuff for your identity. Like it is, Mary Kondo is indeed trying to like remind you that you are not the things you own and you don't need to accumulate more and more to feel like you have a stable sense of yourself or a, you know, stable lifestyle. And I also think with that idea of kind of American minimalism, there's also the American idea that you can create yourself and define yourself and start over from zero. And I think that is particularly like a, a concept of our country that if you get rid of, you can get rid of everything and just start anew and and erase everything. Everything but your own built-in biases and prejudices, I would imagine. Mm. I mean, some stuff, I mean, you can go, you can spend a lifetime in therapy and you're still being defined by inherited isms and ideologies, <laughs> religion and, and other things. But that's the idea that that um, in America you get a second chance. You can start over. Yeah. Interestingly, I don't know if you've taken a look at um, Marie Kondo's uh, website. But mm -hmm. I wasn't shocked, but I guess I was surprised that she's selling stuff on the website, yeah. not just her books, but but stuff, you know. And it's and it's beautiful stuff, and it's Japanese. Um, design and, and it's very minimalist, you know, and, and but it's more <laughs> stuff. And so I'm thinking, okay, I get it. I can get rid of these 10 things and replace it with just this one beautiful thing that I can buy from her website. But I don't know. It seems like capitalism is swallowing her up. Is there a right. way that capitalism and, and in a sense, even though we're speaking about minimalism as a lifestyle, capitalism and endless consumerism is, is there a way that it, they just, the, those last two undermine the very idea of minimalism? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the part of the problem of capitalism, I think, is that it manages to turn everything into a commodity, whether it's your own happiness or your identity or your relationship with work. And I think the same transformation happened with minimalism, going from the kind of radical artistic idea in the 60s through to now, where it's kind of a minimalist is a product you can buy. Like you can buy a minimalist lamp, you can buy a minimalist chair, you can buy the minimalist self-help books. It is now a commodity and a kind of marketing mechanism rather than a radical idea, which I think is unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine myself living a minimalist lifestyle with a house filled with minimalist pots for flowers and minimalist mm chairs and sofas and, and all, and, and, oh, you could open my closet and be all filled <laughs> to the brim with minimalist style clothing. But I end up living a consumerist life with things that are just labeled minimalist. And, right. I, and I fool myself up oh, now I'm a minimalist because everything I own says minimalist. <laughs> right. It's such a, it's such a paradox. And I, I think people mistake the aesthetic of minimalism or the style of minimalism for the idea of minimalism. So let's go into that. What, what's, what's the deeper idea? Yeah. I mean, to me, the deeper idea that the, the kind of people I explore in my book have is that you can create the world around you for yourself and you can decide how you live and you can decide 
what you think is beautiful or interesting to experience. Like you don't have to subscribe to preconceived notions of art or music or a lifestyle. Um, and the minimalist, I think the minimalist project is like finding ways to get outside of the norms of society and, and look differently at the worlds rather than like embrace this kind of homogenous style that exists already. Yeah. It, it's part of the, the American notion of, you know, being your own person, being an individual and which reminds me of, of, and I know I'm not going to get the line right, but the line in Monty Python's Life of Brian, where Brian calls out, you know, be an individual, think for yourself. And then someone says, no, I'm not an individual. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's just, oh, we're all individuals. It's a movement, yeah. the movement of individualism, which again, it's, it's an oxymoron. So, this idea, the radical idea, not the lifestyle, the faux lifestyle idea, but the radical understanding of minimalism that you present in the book really requires an inner spiritual revolution, a change in consciousness to free you from the past that defines you. What's your sense of that, if that makes any sense to you at all? Yeah, I mean, I think the the minimalist artists and like the, the other figures in the book are all people who like sought ways to redefine themselves they sought to like push back against the place they were born into or the ideas that they were born with and like create a different space for themselves in the world and a different way of experiencing things and i think all of those people have like a deeply cultivated sense of self whether that's like judd donald judd for example the artist was not very spiritual per se uh, he described himself as an empiricist, uh, but the minimalist artist Agnes Martin was incredibly spiritual and and thought that minimalism was a way to seek transcendence and seek a kind of like universal feeling. So how did, well, I mean, let, let's just start with Judd for a second. His work, uh, I'm looking at something that's like rectangles stacked on top of one another. It's geometrically very, very simple, very, very minimalist. But when I look at it, and I don't know what it means, I th I'm not even sure the word, the phrase, what it means should, should apply here. So I'm not going to do that. It's not what it means, because that's already an intermediary between me and the art piece. When I'm looking at it, I feel something profound, but I couldn't put a label on it. So, so even if he sees himself as a yeah. secularist or a rationalist, or he doesn't use the word spiritual, when I look at the piece... It seems deeply spiritual to me simply because it's so direct and immediate. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful way of describing what those works do in space. And I think like maybe Judd wouldn't have talked about transcendental meaning, but he was always talking about finding the essence of something, like making a work that just existed as itself, kind of something that was true in and as itself. And I think that's also a very spiritual idea, or it has relevance in, in spirituality, like trying to find something that is so meaningful and self-sustaining that, that it can be depended on, or it, it inspires you <laughs> to seek that kind of thing for yourself. The way, the way you described it, something that is true unto itself, something that, that speaks, I don't know about the word essence, because you know, I don't know if there's an essence to, to anything exactly, but 
certainly being true to itself. It's just what it is. And, and it, then it acts, in my experience here, it, it acts as a mirror, trying to reflect my own authenticity back to me. Because, and again, I may be taking this way too mystically, there's no place to hide in his work or, or in even in, in Marie Kondo's uh, minimalist design in her apartment and things like that. There's nowhere to hide. I can't, (laughs) there's just this object or just this book or just this sculpture of Judd's. And then there's just me without (laughs) me being an American, me being a Jew, me being, you know, a male, all, all that stuff. It's just me. And that, as I'm reading your book, because you write in the book something like this, that you're trying to bypass the superficial minimalist style and appreciate things for and in themselves. And, and I'm paraphrasing you, but and you say you're trying to remove the barriers between the self and the world. And that's what yeah. happens when I look at Judd's work. And this idea of removing the barriers between the self and the world that is what really grabbed me because for two reasons, and I'm going to get your response to it. Number one, I think the barrier between self and the world is simply an invention of the self. There is no barrier. You are the world. It's just, you're confronting things all the time as part of a greater reality. And second, when you remove the barrier, there's a sense of, my experience anyway, is a sense of profound awe. And that's what I'm looking for in the minimalist lifestyle. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah. Yeah, I think like the minimalist lifestyle becomes a symbol for that truth that is being sought. Like... In that same way that you can mistake the aesthetic for the idea, like you can mistake just the appearance of minimalism for that actual process of seeking the truth or seeking that's something that's true in itself. So I think like real minimalist artwork that, you know, the stuff that was made in the 60s, 70s, 80s, I think one effect that it has is it makes you more aware of your own experience of the world and your own perception. Uh, So looking at a Judd, you're also 
perceiving the way that you perceive space and you perceive color and you're kind of going back to fundamentals rather than getting caught up in what something means or what a narrative is telling you. So I think it does have a way of bringing you more into contact with yourself in an interesting way. Like you are, you are left alone with the object and you have to think about how you are experiencing that object. Similarly, you talk about John Cage mm. in the book, and I'm thinking about um, the piece, I think it's called, what, 33 and a third? Oh, uh, 433, the silent. The, the silence, yeah, for yeah, a second, yeah. four minutes and 33 seconds of, of silence. I was going to say of nothing, but no, it's not nothing, it's silence. So how does that, it seems to me that he is doing, I don't know if I can say musically because it's silence, <laughs> but if he is doing with that piece... Uh, what Judd is doing with his art and what you're talking about doing with an authentic minimalist lifestyle. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, when you look at a minimalist object like a Judd piece, it, it kind of gets rid of all of our preconceived notions of art. Like there's no story, there's no information, there's right. no human figures. In the same way, John Cage in that 433 piece gets rid of everything that you think of as music. There's there's no piano playing. The musician just sits there and does nothing. And um, you become incredibly aware of yourself as the <laughs> right. listener. Yeah, it's very shocking. And I think like initially people were really put off by Judd's work in galleries. They thought it was not art, essentially. Same thing with Cage people revolted against the the silence of 433 so rather than think about themselves or think about their perceptions they they would rather leave the concert hall <laughs> well that's right deal with themselves. yeah same thing when you're sitting on a zen cushion for a length of time and there's no input from the outside uh, or going into a sensory deprivation tank you know there's just there's no story when when the story drops away, either because you're looking at uh, you know a Judd or you're listening to silence, there's again I'm going to go back to the same idea. There's no place to hide, and I think that scares us profoundly. That we're we're always about hiding. You know, even even in in the book of Genesis, after the people have eaten the fruit from the tree of life, God tree of knowledge, God comes out and says, "Where are you?" And then they were hiding, and Adam comes out and says, "I was hiding." And the reason he's hiding is because he was afraid. And I think that's not unique to that story or that parable. It, it is a parable. And it's about all of us being afraid to come out of hiding. And this minimalist outlook forces you maybe or, or draws you out of hiding in some way. And that can be profoundly disconcerting to people. <laughs> it, it exposes you in a certain way. And yeah, it, it makes right. you more aware of like what you depend on in the world for meaning. Or what you, the kind of artifice that you rely on to think that something's beautiful or interesting or whatever. So, you know, since the object in front of you does not give you any information or the musician doesn't give you any music, then it's kind of, it's drawing out your own expectations. It's drawing out your own pre-definitions of what things should be rather than what is in front of you. And then when you look at them, the way you'd look at or listen to these other things, you see in a sense, they're empty, you know, they're, cause mm -hmm. they also have, I mean, they are a story, but they don't carry a story when you've put them in front of you for examination. And then you're left with this storyless state that will send people running from the, the <laughs> concert hall. Cause they just can't, 
they just can't deal with it. So, so let me ask you, what drew you to this? I think <laughs> in the way that some people have spirituality or music or whatever, I definitely have visual art as kind of the basis of my outlook on the world. So I you know, studied, I did art in high school. I studied art history and I worked as an art critic uh, in New York in my 20s. And so I was, I've always thought from this like frame of reference of visual art. And so when I started seeing the word minimalism thrown around so much kind of post 2010, particularly in like 2015, 2014, my reference frame for minimalism was this visual art movement. And that's how I was familiar with the word. Uh, and I liked minimalist art. I thought it was all really interesting and compelling. But I, I didn't see the connection between the kind of Marie Kondo minimalist lifestyle and the minimalist artists. So I wanted to make that connection. I always want to bring more people into visual art and, and show that it's maybe not as alienating mm. <laughs> as it looks or not as pretentious as it looks. So I thought this is kind of an opportunity to bring up these more complicated ideas of minimalism and, you know, explain them to more people or give people a deeper awareness of what minimalism might mean, given that it was clearly a compelling concept already. So are people in their response to your book, are they, do you get a sense they're getting that? I think so, which is super gratifying. I think yeah. one of my favorite responses is when people are like, oh, I, I didn't think I could understand this art or I didn't think I would be interested in it. But the way, the way that the book introduces it, I was really, I knew what you were talking about and I felt like I could follow it and it was, it was approachable and interesting to me. That's a great achievement, I think. Like, I'm happy. If that was the only effect of the book, then I'm very yeah. happy. But I think there's a lot more to it than than that, certainly. Okay. Let, let me ask you a very off-the-wall question regarding the title. So the mm -hmm. full title is Longing for Less, which is pretty clear. And then you write Living with Minimalism. And at first, I understood that before I read the book. I understood that to mean living minim minimalistically, if that's a word, right? <laughs> which is the self-help understanding of minimalism. And then as I got into the book, I said, no, no, you're really showing us that that's not what it's all about. But now I go back to the title and I'm thinking living with minimalism, understanding minimalism as things unto themselves without my story being, being imposed upon them. So living with, uh, in, in the Buddhist tradition, you, you'd probably say, you know, tathata, suchness, living with the, the uh -huh. thusness of something and not distorting it through your own biases and prejudices and isms and ideologies. It seems to me that that is a tremendous goal to set for one's life, to live <laughs> with minimalism and not with your imposed, the stories you impose on the, the world you experience. So that would be true of you know, artwork. That's true of music. What about with people? Can you take a minimalist approach to an encounter with another human being? So you see <laughs> yeah. that person as that person is. You say, you write, uh, how do you find a way to live the life that you were born with and stake out a place for yourself in the tumultuous present? So my question is, how do you live a life in which you allow others to stake out a place for themselves without you putting your story on that? And what does that feel like when you do? Does that 
resonate with you at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's <laughs> the, applying it to other people is probably a, a, one of the hardest ways you can practice it. But I think talking about it that way, it does bring up one of the problems of minimalism, which is that it can be very individualistic. Like it does drive you back to your own perceptions and your own sense of yourself and, you know, building your own world of taste and art and sensory perception. But I'm, <laughs> if, if we swap out one of Judd's sculptures for a person, uh, then that might be a good way to approach another person, like not having a preconceived notion of who they are or what their purpose is or how they might relate to you, but instead trying to build that experience in real time and be very aware of, you know, how you're relating to that other person or thing, how you're creating a sense of them in your minds and how that may or may not be reality. Yeah. It seems to me that you could apply it. You could use the language of Martin Buber, where you can either approach something from an I it mode, where the it is something you're using, but you're also imposing your own story on it. So it reflects back your story rather than allows you to see the thing in and of itself or in that I thou way. And he speaks of I thou in relationship to animals in relationship to nature in relationship to people where you do somehow. And, and that's because I have to leave the somehow up in the air because I don't know how. <laughs> But somehow you make room for the other person to be who the other person is. And yeah. in so doing, you discover who you are without the hideouts of, of isms and ideologies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, your minimalism is a kind of freedom, I think, in the way that you perceive things and, and think about things. So you're, you're creating a space of freedom in which anything can be itself or just present itself as, as it is. That's it. Exactly. That's what I got from the book the first time. I'm going to, like I said, read it again, because I think there's a lot more in there. But the way I want to bring the conversation to a close, because we have to do that, is I want you to read for us one of the most powerful, a breathtaking paragraph in the book. So I want you to read from this. This is on, on uh, page 221. It's the last paragraph on the page. I don't want to unpack it. <laughs> I want it to be there just the way a Judd piece is there. I just want, I want our listeners to just listen to Kyle read this paragraph and let it hang at the end and see where it takes you after the show <laughs> is over. So that's how we're going to, we're going to end this. So Kyle, if you've got it, please read it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to present it. I think <laughs> so. No context, no nothing. Uh, here is that paragraph. The popular minimalist aesthetic is more a symptom of that anxiety, having less as a way of feeling a little more stable in precarious times than a solution to it. The art, music, architecture, and philosophy that I've described, however, isn't concerned with perfect cleanliness or a specific style. It's about seeking unmediated experiences, giving up control instead of imposing it, paying attention to what's around you without barricading yourself, and accepting ambiguity, understanding that opposites can be part of the same whole. This deeper form of minimalism can't be reduced to a hashtag or sold on a t-shirt. It offers no answers, let alone step-by-step -step guides, and it comes with risks. But it suggests another way of living that we can carry on into the future beyond the length of a trend. Our guest today, Kyle Cheka, is the author of Longing for Less, Living with Minimalism. Kyle, thank you so much for speaking with us on Essential Conversations. 
This was a lovely conversation and I really appreciate it. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a regular column called Roadside Musings, and on my new podcast, Conversations on the Egg. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Catherine Drury-Wagner. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.